Chapter 15 of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 A Leap for Liberty. It seemed that nothing could be more favorable for the attempt to escape. There was Fred, seated upon the back of a mustang. His copper-colored captors were some distance away at the side of the ravine, while the only Indian in sight was a dozen feet ahead with his back toward him. True, there was the risk of being shot, but he felt that he did not deserve safety unless he was willing to run that or any risk. There was a loose rein hanging on the neck of the mustang. Fred gently pulled it, and the beast stopped. He was walking so quietly that his hooves made scarcely any sound in falling upon the flinty surface, and the Indian, from some cause or other, failed to notice the cessation of sound until the distance between them had about doubled. At that instant the redskin turned his head as quick as lightning. Fred, who had been wishing for that identical movement, whirled the steed about and started him back in the ravine at full gallop, the brute responding gallantly to the sudden demand made upon him. The fugitive was expecting a shot from the rifle in the hand of the Apache, and he threw himself forward upon the horse, so as to make the target as difficult to hit as possible. But the Indian did not fire, not only on account of the risk to his favorite mustang, but because it would have been certain to disarrange the reconnaissance upon which Waoko and his companions were engaged. But the redskin did not stand in stupid helplessness. A glance told him everything, and running with extraordinary swiftness to the nearest mustang, he vaulted upon his back and started in pursuit, putting his animal upon the jump from the first. The few seconds' unavoidable delay gave the young fugitive something like a hundred yards' start, an advantage which he used every effort to increase, and which for a brief spell he succeeded in doing. Fred's object was to avoid a regular chase, for he dreaded that in such case the superior knowledge of the country possessed by the Indian would enable him to outwit him at every turn. Night was close at hand, and if he could dodge the redskin until darkness the lad was confident of escaping him altogether. For a short distance the ravine continued in almost a straight line, and then it turned at a sharp angle. Without attempting to guide the mustang in the least, Fred kept himself thrown forward with his arms about his neck while he hammered his sides with his heels, spoke sharply to him, and did everything he could to urge him to the highest possible rate of speed. The animal whirled about the corner, and with his neck extended, went down the ravine with almost incredible swiftness a speed which was steadily drawing him away from his pursuer, and which would have carried him beyond his reach in a brief time, but for a singular and altogether unexpected check. The pursuing redskin saw his charge quietly slipping from his grasp, and he must have viewed the wonderful speed of his favorite mustang under the circumstances with mixed emotions. At any rate, it took him but a short time to see that in a stern chase he had no chance of coming up with his own animal, and so he commanded him to halt. This was done by a peculiar tremulous whooping sound which he had used scores of times to summon his animal to him, and which had never failed. Nor did it fail now. Fred was careering along at this amazing speed, congratulating himself, meanwhile, upon his cleverness, 
when the brute checked himself so suddenly that the rider narrowly escaped being pitched over his head. He jerked the bit and pounded his heels against his ribs, but it was of no avail. The horse had pricked up his ears, neighed, and was looking back with very much the appearance of an animal that was in a mental muddle. The Indian saw it and repeated the signal. Thereupon the Mustang wheeled and started backward at a gallop directly toward his master. "'If that's your idea, I'm not going with you,' gasped the lad, who slipped off his back as nimbly as a monkey and made a dash for the side of the ravine without any clear idea of where he was going. It seemed that there was no possible escape for the lad, for the Indian was but a short distance behind him and was twice as fleet of foot as he. But one of those fortunate interferences, which seemed to be in their nature like special providences, occurred at this juncture. The flight and pursuit of Fred Munson took place at a critical period in the affairs of all parties, and so mixed up the business that it was thrown entirely out of gear and almost into inextricable confusion. It seemed that there was a party of Kiowas in hiding, and awaiting the chance to open fire upon the approaching Apaches. The sly scamps saw every movement of the warriors, and it looked as if the flies were about walking into their trap when the unexpected by-play occurred. There must have been all of half a dozen Kiowas, enough to extinguish the Apaches, and when Fred Munson started his flight, two of the Indians hurried down the ravine for the purpose of taking a hand in the business. They unavoidably fell behind in such a trial of speed, but when they saw the Apache about to reach out his hand to grasp the fugitive, two shots were fired almost simultaneously at him. They were intended to kill, too. For the Kiowas, who were actuated by no love for the despairing white boy, felt that they could afford to give him this temporary respite. They were certain of their own ability to step in and pluck the prize at the very moment it might seem to be beyond their reach. Rather curiously, however, neither of the shots did what was intended. One of them missed the Apache altogether, and the other only slightly wounded him. As it was, however, the pursuing warrior was dumbfounded, and he stopped as suddenly as if smitten by a bolt from heaven. Leaving his mustang to look out for himself, he darted to the opposite side of the ravine from that taken by the lad for the purpose of securing cover before a second volley could be fired. Fred heard the report of the rifle shots and supposed that he was the target, and that they had been fired by Waoko and his companion. Instead of stopping to ascertain, he continued his flight with all the desperation of combined hope and despair. A few seconds sufficed to carry him across the ravine and among the rocks, boulders, and stunted growth. The panting fugitive was rendered almost frantic by the thought that he was about to elude the redskin after all. As he bounded into cover, he cast a terrified glance backward to see how close to his heels was his dreaded enemy not an Indian was visible. But although Fred failed to see anything of his enemies, he could not but believe that they were somewhere in the immediate neighborhood, and he did not relax his efforts in the slightest. Such strenuous efforts speedily exhausted him, and after climbing, clambering, and stumbling forward and upward for some twenty rods or so, he tripped and pitched forward upon his face, where he lay panting and so weak that he could not rise. 
He was sure he heard the footsteps of his pursuer, but a short distance away, and the most that he could do was to raise his head and glance furtively in the direction. He had not the strength absolutely to rise to his feet and run away. Again and again he was confident that the Apache was close to him, but still he did not become visible, and all this time Fred was rapidly regaining his strength. In a very short time his rapid breathing subsided, and he felt his old vigor and vitality creeping back into his limbs. He was ready to spring to his feet again, but he did not deem it best. It seemed to him that the warrior had lost sight of him and was looking about. If the boy therefore should rise to his feet, he would be the more likely to be seen, and if he remained where he was, he was sure of being found. He compromised the matter by crawling forward on his hands and knees, listening and looking, and continually pausing to prevent creeping into the arms of his enemies. All this time night was approaching, and with the passage of each minute came a corresponding rise in the hopes of the fugitive. Fred kept moving forward upon his hands and knees, climbing higher and further away from the point of danger. Everything remained as silent as the tomb. The Apache that Fred fancied was so close upon him was in reality playing hide-and-seek with the Kiowas, a business which is generally conducted in silence, unless the stillness be broken by the occasional crack of the rifle or the death-yell of one of the participants. The footsteps which the boy fancied he heard were all in his imagination. In fact, he was alone. No human eye saw him or took cognizance of his movements. For the present, he was left to himself. There was but one who held him in view and remembrance at this critical juncture. To him, Fred appealed again and again to lead him through the labyrinth of peril and to permit him to return in safety to his friends. Still the boy picked his way along, as does the frightened animal, and still he failed to see or hear anything of his enemy. Meanwhile the gloom deepened, and with the passage of every moment his heart lightened, until he felt for the time being, at least, his safety was assured. End of chapter 15 Read by Thomas Rose.